Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This podcast is all about talking about race and diversity and everything in between. We also ask Kiwis to come onto the show and share their stories, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic New Zealand. So today I am very, very honoured to ask Joris Debris onto the show. Um, he used to be the New Zealand Race Relations Commissioner and he's really, really awesome and super kind. So thank you for hosting us here today. And um, yeah, you want to say kia ora? Uh, kia ora. <laughs> so where are you from? Where's home for you? Well, I'm, I live in Wellington, but uh, I've, uh, I was born in Holland, and I came here as a child in the 1950s, uh, and um, I studied overseas again when mm-hmm. I went to Berlin uh, and, um, and Oxford, and then I came back to New Zealand. Oh, cool. What did you study, by the way? Well, um, I started. I actually learnt. I, I studied German and English at university, mm. and I think maybe I studied German because it was the closest thing to Dutch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they Fair. didn't teach Dutch here yeah. then, and uh, um, so I went to I went to Germany to um, uh, on a general scholarship to study whatever I liked from the German government, and I uh, did a lot of politics. It was a very wild time, nineteen sixty nine, just mm. after the student uprisings and yeah. so on. And, uh, and then I went to Oxford and um, I started to do a, a, a BPhil in, um, in politics, uh, but I never finished it. I was, I was very active as a student. Yeah. And um, at the time, I, I guess um, you know, some of us just didn't end up wanting to continue with an academic career. So I came back to New Zealand, got pretty involved in act- active, as an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, in the um, Citizens Association for Racial Equality, the anti apartheid movement, and and um, uh, issues of overseas development. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a journalist for a bit. Yes, I did read that. Yeah. And then I um, uh, I worked for the New Zealand Public Service Association as a trade unionist. Then I was a general manager in uh, um, the Department of Conservation, mm-hmm. and then I became the Race Relations Commissioner for ten. Ten and a half years. Wow, you've mm. really done it all. That's quite awesome. Like so awesome that you've done a whole range of things in in your life. I feel like that's important to know as a young person because I feel like we're always told that you should choose something now and that's that, and you should work on developing your career. But it's good well, to know that. You know, I studied. I got a BA, and I, you know, they say you shouldn't have a BA if you want a career. And then I did languages and a BA, and um, all of that's been really useful to me. But um, I have to say, I wouldn't have had a clue what my career would be Mm. Um, it kind of makes sense in retrospect because all of it has been evolved around um, generally about social issues and maybe quite a lot about in situations of conflict and industrial relations even in conservation and race relations but my my interest in that has been about conflict resolution rather than Mm. conflict enjoyment (laughs) Fair, fair, yeah, fair. But yeah, you, I think you see you see where you know where you're going when you look back. You don't you have no sense, idea yeah. at the time. Mm, I will keep that in mind as I move forward in yeah, life. But um, so you grew up here. What was that like in the fifties um, as well? What was that yeah, like? Yeah, I wrote I wrote an essay about it that was published in Landfall people, in the nineties. The boat people, yeah, yeah. and um, really, I think it was the experience of. Um, uh, 
in the 1950s, although there were two cultures here, Māori and Pākehā, mm. um, it was a very monocultural, a dominant monocultural society. And uh, even the Dutch, um, although you know they came from a European background, were seen as very alien. In fact, mm. they were called aliens. That's really uh, interesting. And the pressure was there to kind of um, to kind of assimilate to mm. to rather than integrate. Um, my parents actually um, learned Maori in the fifties before many Pākehā here did. <laughs> Good on uh, them. And uh, my father actually ended up teaching it at uh, Otago University Extension later in his life. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting because I feel like for people who just don't really know a lot, they'd probably just look at you and think, oh, he'd do fine in New Zealand, you know? <laughs> well, you know, as I wrote in that essay, it was quite, it was, it was quite a struggle. If you wanted to, I think the, the main thing was the pressure to conform. Mm. The pressure to conform to uh, the the Anglo-Saxon norm, uh, and uh, you know you were encouraged to kind of leave your culture, leave your um, leave all that baggage behind, and you were kind of commented on by by government officials saying that you know they're doing very well, they're not reading Dutch magazines, they're not hanging out with Dutch people. Um, as a bit of social engineering, you know, I guess we were at the receiving end. Was that where comments like that were made through what your school if, reports? No, or these, something, no these, or? Were, these were official government reports in the Labour Department. You know, they were observing the successful settlement of of migrants from the Netherlands in the nineteen fifties, and how they were, you know, they were they were um, being very well assimilated. Uh, and I, I think a lot of us who came came at that time, um, you know, lost our language mm. or. Um, uh, certainly, you know, had a kind of embarrassment about being Dutch, so you know our nationality, or ethnic origin, um, and uh, uh, in a way, it was actually the the renaissance of uh, Māori in the in the sixties and seventies that kind of restored us to a sense of mm. that we were part of the diversity of New Zealand and not just you know, part of not just the other thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just happened to be here. Yeah. Oh, um, under what? condition did you come to New Zealand? Were your parents coming for better opportunities? Or? Um, they were actually, they were actually um, my father was recruited here by the Presbyterian Church to be a, a migrant chaplain. Oh, so he, he, okay. Now today you'd call him a settlement support officer. Mm. So his job was to, um, uh, to get, you know, visit pastoral care of mm-hmm. Dutch migrants all over the Lower North Island and Nelson Marlborough. And um, there were four of them who were Recruited, he did it for two years, um, uh, and then he became a minister in a parish in Upper Hutt. Mm. And we lived in Lower Hutt initially, and then um, then he transferred to the Presbyterian Māori Synod. So you know he he, he worked then in Māori parishes uh, while continuing to study Te Reo Māori and sociology. Wow. Ended up doing all sorts of other things after yeah. that, but no, he came here not as a you know he came here in a sense as a settlement support person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And then for you growing up, how did you find your your cultural roots again? What was that journey like? Well, I, I, I think we you know we we did our very best to be good kind of Anglo you know Anglo-Saxon carbon mm-hmm. copies um, through the period of growing up. Uh, and um, 
I, I think we, you know many of us rediscovered our connections with, with um, for instance, when I went to Germany, I also went to Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met some of my family there. Oh, wow, um, they must have been so precious. You know, when my parents came to New Zealand, you didn't return. You know, it was a, it was a five-week journey on a boat. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you, you didn't go to, you know, go on cheap Air New Zealand flights or KLM or something like that. So um, So now. that you went for permanent. And now, of course, and, and even, you know, as I got older, um, we were able to to go backwards and forwards and connect um, better connections with with Dutch people in, in mm-hmm. New Zealand, and I maintain some of those connections now. Um, and our kids are kind of also, um, you know, they they it's part of their heritage, even mm-hmm. though they also don't, you know, they don't speak Dutch, uh, uh, but it's, they have Dutch passports. Which is a good thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you can get around yeah. Europe, you know. Good on them. They'll be happy in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and what is it like for your children, if you don't mind me asking, having to grow up with you know the New Zealand background and also coinciding with oh, their Dutch? And I mean, you know, I have to say that basically, uh, I'm I'm Dutch. My wife is English. We're both migrants to New Zealand. Uh, they've grown up here. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them have actually been overseas. Um, one of our daughters, they are identical twins. One is a, a professor of philosophy at Wellesley College in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the other one has just returned from being a professor of sociolinguistics in Luxembourg. So I guess we're a bit of an international yeah, family. Yeah, well, you're scattered um, everywhere in the world. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah, which is the kind of characteristic of modern migrants, I think. You know, uh, people do tend to have family in Australia or in Canada or in Europe or wherever. Britain. Yes. Yeah, India, kind of, China. That's uh, true. Everyone's everywhere now yeah. these days, which is really. That's, I, I like that. I think that's good for the world, but it also does present as challenges as well. I think my mm. I think it's good for the world. I, you mm. know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big time nationalist. You know, I, mm. I think um, I, I I love being in New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Um, I. Um, I'm proud to kind of be from here, but I'm but I I'm not just a New Zealander. I'm mm. So you know, I'm a, I kind of think of myself as both Dutch and New Zealand, and also kind of to the extent that I can, you know, that I'm a I'm a global citizen. Global citizen, nice. Yeah. Um, is that what attracted you to social issues when you were younger and being an activist? I don't know. I was. Um, I mean, I, I was. You know, I come from a family that were act- active. You know, so kind of social justice was a kind of theme of our our home, and um, I kind of just grew into it. Really, no, I don't. I don't know. That I, I can't really sort of identify why. You know, why I am what I am, or how I got to be mm. there. But I was very interested in social issues, even you know before I left school. Um, certainly at university, um, I ended up you know, editing the Kraken, the university paper, and um, being active in all sorts of things mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and um, I think it's just been it's been a part of my life. Some people are like that. Some people aren't. Mm. You know. So it just sounds like you were naturally meant to be the race relations commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like. What was that role like? Because you I were there for eleven was, years. Yeah, uh, about ten and a half. Yeah. 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 Um, really interesting. Mm. Um, it was one of my passions. I mean, if if I 
uh, you know, I think all of my jobs have been about social justice in different, different ways, and um, uh, I've, I've really surprised to be appointed, but I really wanted the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would be a great thing to do, and actually it was. Uh, the um, I, you know, I, I have always been aware of the issues of race relations in New Zealand and I spent quite a bit of time campaigning in the 70s about uh, migrant workers from the Pacific, the overstayers, yeah. the dawn raids, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also about Māori issues, language and, and land and, uh, and all those struggles. Um, so the opportunity to work full-time in that area uh, at that level was um, you know, a real privilege. Uh, but it's hard... Um, it's kind of like it's it's the hot button issue in New Zealand. It still is. I it think. is, uh, Very and much um, so. it, it comes from a mixture of kind of affirmation and denial. People people want to believe that we have the best race relations in the world. They don't want to believe that we don't. Mm. Uh, but everybody is passionate about it. You know, um, I just think it is probably the hot button issue. It uh, doesn't matter what you say as Race Relations mm-hmm. Commissioner, a large number of people will agree with you and a large, large number of people will disagree with you, some of them violently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you come face to face with, um, with you know, bad statistics and ugly attitudes and, um, and uh, you, you try and work with all the positive things, mm-hmm. but you are very aware that there is a negative undercurrent. And yep. if you're a race relations commissioner, the first thing that happens is they try and test you <laughs> and trap you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I don't think there's been a single race relations commissioner that hasn't been the butt of some really hip, some real, or the object of some real heat. Yeah. And they talk about it as, you know, um, a testing of the, <laughs> of the race <laughs> relations like- commissioner. And you get to weather it and you... you um, I mean, for me, the wonderful thing in the job was working with so many people who were committed to good race relations mm. uh, and, um, and, and committed to doing something about um, the, the, uh, the uglier things. Mm. Um, people don't really want to know about those, but, um, you know, they're there and uh, um, you, do your, you do your best. I mean, I came into the job... Um, just just a year after 911 mm. uh, it was a you know it, it was a, a period when there was that um, incredible increase glo- globally but also in New Zealand of Islamophobia where every Muslim was you know deemed to be a terrorist uh, but that also affected Sikhs uh, because they um, they had visible head coverings yeah. Um, uh, it also, you know, there was also a, a continuation of anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, one of the things that I um, that was a real eye-opener for me, I suppose, was the um, the desecration of Jewish headstones. A hundred plus headstones knocked over in in, a, in Makara Cemetery. Uh, a horrible sight, and the prayer house, Jewish prayer house burnt down. You know, and when did this happen? About two thousand and four. Uh, 2005 um, it was a shock you know I, I, again I suppose from my family um, uh, we had grown up with a, a real um, horror of anti-Semitism through, this, through my family's experience in the Second World War mm-hmm. and my grandparents sheltering Jewish people in their, in their home through the war mm-hmm. you know? um, but um, <clears throat> so 
I guess there were a number of other things. You know, I, I, oddly, I found I, I hadn't expected to be involved in the issue of religion at all, but the right to religion became one of the themes mm. of my time as race relations commissioner because of the attacks on Muslims as a religion. You know, it's not an ethnicity. Mm. Uh, well, people, people get confused, though. Yeah, yeah, people totally. get really confused. Totally. <laughs> um, but the anti-Semitism um, and. Uh, uh, Actually, um, after the the, um, the desecration of those Jewish headstones, uh, we started. We had a forum at Parliament and developed a program of action, uh, which led to the Diversity Action Program, which I, I facilitated, and that was really growing the number of organisations that were actively involved in contributing positively to diversity. But it also built up networks. So we had a religious diversity network, and, and out of that came the New Zealand Religious Diversity Statement, which is about to be republished again, mm-hmm. uh, which um, which just sets out some basic principles about about um, religious diversity in New Zealand. The you know the right in a human rights framework. Mm-hmm. So the right to to uh, practice your religion, the right to safety, uh, um, the uh, uh, freedom of expression, but the responsibility to respect others and so on. And all those um, issues are at play now in the post-Christchurch mm. environment. Um, I also, um, another thing that's just been republished by the Human Rights Commission is a, a, a compilation of my annual reports during that time uh, of hate crime. Uh, and uh, there's about a hundred different examples in that uh, of the kind of thing that that was reported in the media and dealt with by the police and the courts, mm. uh, and you know they they ranged from murder to kidnap to serious physical abuse mm. uh, to verbal abuse and and and, and dis- a desecration of uh, places of worship, synagogues, gurdwara. Uh, mosques, uh, and um, I actually, I, I, and so that's really been published now as a contribution to the discussion about hate crime uh, that's going on at present after Christchurch, because these things have um, they haven't happened on that scale, but there have been people with that level of hate in New Zealand, uh, and there, there has been a lot of xenophobia and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and racism. Uh, let's not forget, you know, the the inherent structural institutional racism uh, that continues to affect Māori. That's something that I haven't touched upon on my podcast yet, but I've always wanted to talk about that. Would, would you be able to offer your thoughts on the institutional racism here in, in New Zealand? Well, um, I, when I was Race Relations Commissioner, we actually published a, a, a paper, a report on mm-hmm. stru- structural discrimination, we called it, a fair yep. go for all. Uh, and I said in the introduction to that that um, you know the the gross inequality between Maori and uh, Pacific mainly on the one hand and and uh, Pākehā um, on the other uh, can only be explained by by one of two things. One is that this, that the system is dealing is treating people unequally, mm. uh, or that one one. Um, one race or one racial group is more competent and superior to the other and I think all of us hopefully or most of us reject that second argument there's no other explanation people you know it's not that people are lazy or inferior or any of those things so it must come from the way that the system 
distinguishes, and it does so in so many different ways. It does so in the justice system, in the health system, in the education system, uh, you know, the broad range of social services. Uh, and um, and it, it isn't just some kind of fancy idea that or abstract idea that that happens. The, st- the statistics tell you that. Um, in health, there's been a lot of work done which says that um, you know uh, uh, Maori Pacific people are not referred on, or mm. um, they don't get the same amount of time at the doctors. Uh, they they um, uh, in education. Uh, there is a program which has just been reinstated by the present government, uh, which is about um, changing the expectations of teachers, because the expectation of teachers of Māori children and of Pākehā children and of Asian children is different, you know. So you, um, uh, so it's at all those levels of real practical things, and you have to kind of uproot that and and and, and change it before you get. Mm. Also, just in terms of cultural capability, um, you know, our public services are meant to be equally accessible to everyone, but we don't have the languages and the cultural capability to make that a reality. Mm. So, so um, uh, there are whole different, there are all sorts of different ways, not just in relation to Māori, but in terms of migrants, refugees, um, where um, where you would just not get the same level of service. You know? Uh, I mean, there's the present issues around Oranga Tamariki and the uplift yeah, of children. Yeah, I've been you know? reading about that. I mean, those are staggering numbers. So, so I think that um, uh, you know, we really have th- those are really important issues, and, and we really have to work hard to, to change that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's not. I mean, it's not institutions in the abstract, but it's the systems in the institutions and the people in the institutions and bear in mind that the, the people in the institutions do not represent the majority, you know, or, as, or the diversity of the population. Yeah, I was just about to ask, yeah. when you, you were... You see, you, like, a familiar face. Yeah, when you yeah. were um, the commissioner, when you had to represent all the different voices in New Zealand and advocate, was that hard for you to get the message across and impress the, the, the urge that, hey, we, we've got some stuff that we need to fix? This is a really big issue here. It might not be a big issue for you, but it's a big issue for it's, some. It's not hard to say it. But it's mm. hard to get something done. You know? Yeah. There's there's probably more people now that that um, that acknowledge it. Yeah. There's certainly more now than there were then. Uh, you know, Why it's is more that a subject of well, over time, mm. you know, and discussion. Hopefully, I contributed a little bit to that. But you know, there are a lot of people who have been raising those issues. Um, but uh, it's actually getting something done about them that's hard. And then I, I don't mean that they're hard issues, but but we actually put forward a series of different examples of programs that were designed to do that, and, and I think there are plenty of examples, but they've just got to be more generally adopted. Mm. So it remains, to me, it remains a fundamental issue. You know, structural discrimination, is, uh, it wastes so many people's Potential. Potential, yeah. Mm. Therefore, New Zealand's. Mm. Mm. So we've brought up all these big, ugly things like racism and discrimination. And moving forward, what what are your thoughts on how do we become a country which does have better race relations and how do we achieve that social cohesion? It's a really big question, I Thank know. Thank you. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can you can talk about, and you have to talk about the negatives 
because you don't, you know, you won't get the positives if you don't change the negatives. Mm. Uh, but the way you change the negatives isn't just to accuse people of things and moan about things and so on. You have, you have to recognise them and acknowledge them and people have to accept them. But, you know, you have to move forward in terms of celebrating the diversity of, uh, of New Zealanders uh, and encouraging that diversity um, and making full use of the potential of, of uh, the different peoples that are now, now make up New Zealand. Uh, I think that happens... Uh, I mean, you have to address each of these things. You have to change the education system. You have to change the justice system. Mm. You have to change the health system and so on. Uh, but it's got to be with a vision that you want this to be a country, not of, um, uh, not where where there is discrimination, uh, uh, or but also not where there's assimilation. You know, you want to genuinely encourage difference mm. in unity. You know, and so I don't know. There are just a hundred and one different ways, you, or a thousand and one different ways you can do that. It's celebrating the cultures. It's sharing. Uh, finding spaces where people can meet and cooperate. The other thing that I'm involved in is um, planting trees um, oh, for yeah. climate is change. Project, project comes in and trees yes, that count. Yeah. And um, I think tree planting is a, is an amazing space for people um, to come together in a common cause, mm. even if they're very different. And we have got uh, projects with Iwi. We've got a fabulous project north of Christchurch, which is a, a, a piece of treaty a piece of land that was returned to uh, Naitahu in their treaty settlement. It's now uh, uh, being turned into a public reserve, which is gifted back to the people of um, Canterbury. Uh, it's jointly run by Naitahu and the um, um, the Waimakariri District Council. We have been there for plantings where, uh, where the, um, uh, the students... Oh, the cool. Student Volunteer Army yep. took part, uh, as well as the local iwi as, um, uh, and the council, and and the Multicultural Council of Christchurch, um, and they've all been there together planting mm. trees for climate change, but also in a, you know for appreciation and for biodiversity and so on. And you know, I mean, it's just wonderful to see all these different people doing one mm. good thing together. And I have this vision, really, it's a personal one. Uh, of having a forest in every town, a reserve, <laughs> where all newcomers or uh, um, can can put down roots, you know, can can plant a tree or more trees, uh, but also where we can kind of, you know, the full diversity of New Zealanders can put their roots down together. That's a little vision of mine. That's a beautiful but it's way a, to it's bring a space, together, you know, right? It's a space and a place where, where people can do something together. And I think... So much of it is about us, us not all staying in our separate bubbles. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it's all about popping the bubble and giving people the opportunity to mix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting comment because recently the um, Minister of Ethnic Communities, mm-hmm. I think that's correct, um, she came down and she spoke to some of the Muslim people in Dunedin, I think she's going around all yes, across yes, the country yeah. um, to talk about how we can move forward. And mm. that's a thing that came up a lot just we just want to integrate and we want to get to know people from different cultures and nationalities so oh that's cool that we're kind of on the same page about that um so that's all the time that we have for today but thank you so much for coming on to Headscarves and Good Yarns um and thank you for tuning in so catch you guys the next episode
Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of premier local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.